From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Judge Dan Butler, municipal court judge and motivational speaker. Judge Butler shares his method for staying positive and happy, discusses how the Pittsburgh Jewish community reacted to the Tree of Life shooting, and talks about the life and legacy of his son Mikey. Also, a strategy for preparing for Rosh Hashanah Davening. And why did Rabbi Brody give so many svarim away? All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening. It is Wednesday evening at 9 p.m. I'm Rabbi from Gober, joined by my dear friend and colleague, Rabbi Josh Brody. And we are here to take you... Behind the Bima. We are here to take you behind the Bima. Rabbi Brody almost gave me a heart attack. Evidence that the show is live is the fact that at 9 o'clock and 30 seconds, I said, you know what? I guess I'll do it alone. I don't know where he is. He's not coming. We're here. And when that opening was playing, there you are. You arrived. So great to have you. As always, great to be together with you, Rabbi Brody, the one and only Rabbi Brody. How are you? It is so great to be back. I'm telling you, I'm very, very excited for tonight's interview. And uh, excited for Rosh Hashanah. This is the year. Excited for Rosh Hashanah. This is the year. So Rabbi Brody, we had last week at BRS a mitzvah market. It was a phenomenal Sunday. A thousand people, more than a thousand people came. Um, we had whatever mitzvahs one needed to do, we made easy and available to you. From checking your mezuzah, dropping off your shatnas, getting rid of your shamos, to learning about the kela mikvah, to uh, shofar making, to svarim for sale. And one of the booths at this mitzvah market, which was amazing, and there oh. were also holiday items for sale, sukkahs, sukkah decorations, you brought many, many, many of your svarim, and you were selling them. You were giving away. You were selling them. You cleaned out your gave most of them away Torah library from home. So help yeah. us understand how is it that you're in oh. one of your most inspired phases of life learning, still doing the daf. You're now giving a kitzah shulchan aruch shir shul. You're still doing all this extra learning you've never done before, and simultaneous it's davka then that you're giving away your svarim. What's that about? Yeah. So I. It, I, I guess I came to the realization a few months ago and packed up everything when we moved that there are many, many farm. Most, most of this farm that I've ever bought or owned, I love them, but they sit on a, on a, on a bookcase and they didn't really get much use. I bought them because I guess there was a point where I, I, I hoped I, I assumed I would be learning many of them, but you know, you come to a certain point, you say, it's probably not going to happen. So there are two things. Number one, I'm really going all in on this farm that I love. Like I do have, Still bookcases here of uh, of of thrum that I that I'm actually using, and I figured you know instead of just putting the ones on the shelf, which people can say, oh, it's so nice, you got all these farm, you know, if there are people out there that are actually going to use them, rather let them learn, let them connect in their own personal way. So that was it's very it's, it's very interesting because most people think that like when you're into something, it's more and more and more and more, and you're saying that the evidence that you're into it and it's legit and it'll last is cue you simplified. Yeah, yeah, and I'm loving it. Sometimes less is more. Yeah, and I told you earlier this week, I said when I came to Slichos, Slichos for me has always been challenging. I just never found the connection. I just, I just, I just find it difficult. I find it every single year. I always, I'm sitting next to you when it comes, you know, first night, 1.30 in the morning. But then the rest of the week, it's just tough. It's tough. Like, I don't understand it. I, I feel disconnected. And it's, I don't know, that you know, maybe something you said tonight also really, really, really hit hit me when you said that, uh, I forget, I think it was the, the, the Ger Rebbe says that every single year or every six months or so, he got a new sitter. Always, you got to figure out a way to, 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 to renew it. Someone gave me a new Slichos, you know, the new Koran Slichos, and I've been reading it and, 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 and working with it. And it's great. It just feels different. It's right. a great year. I'm so excited for this year. I can't even, I never felt I like, I feel like I'm back in Yeshua. 
I love your I energy. Gotta, Between you and Judge Butler, I'm going to need to take a nap right after this. That energy I gotta, is unbelievable. I got to tell you something. I got a phone call December 31st, and I've kept the the, the voicemail on my on my on my phone. It's, I guess that's about nine months ago, more than nine months ago. And I've always been afraid to return the calls. One of my rebellion from JEC from high school, Rabbi Parnas, and he called and he he. I guess it was in reference to something we said on the show. And I don't know what it is. I know I'm almost 50, but I still feel like. I'm 16 years old and I'm getting called into the principal's office. I couldn't call him back. And I said, you know, it's Baruch Hashanah. Let me, let me give him a call. And he was so excited. I don't know why I waited. He's such a great rabbi. He lives in Lakewood. Right. You know, he's teaching now in one of the so great yeshivas. Behind the Bima, every episode you worked your mom into every episode. Now in this season, I think you've worked the JEC <laughs> into every episode. The JEC. <laughs> Can I tell you, I was talking to someone yesterday and we were saying how, you know, we, we everyone can rank on JEC. You know, there's there's lots of things we can say about it. But That's when you look at where, no, I'm just saying it might, listen, we weren't up there with the MTAs and the Ramazas and the Frishes of the world. We were JEC, you know, we, we did our best. But you take a look at where all my friends are today. Each one of these guys are like captains of their own industry doing great things. I can, I can go through the whole list of 35 guys in the class. Including you, Pride and Joy. Jason. I don't know about me, Pride and Joy. It's a beautiful thing. But I want to come back to because I love that imagery of, of, I think there was some books and there was some science recently. It was in the news a lot a couple of years ago about cleaning your closet, cleaning your home, getting rid of the clutter, consolidating, simplifying. You know, like I said, a lot of people think, oh, it's Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the new year. I've got to add, 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 add. And sometimes you add by subtracting. Yeah. Right? Like, like even in our own homes, even in our own personal practices. I was just talking to somebody who had been doing so much in terms of their own Yiddishkeit, their own growth. And it came to a screeching halt. And, and one of the explanations he said to me, why is maybe I added too much. I was doing too much. I added too much. And therefore it all fell apart. So sometimes less is more, you know, and so yeah. you, sometimes you add by subtracting. Uh, I don't want to break into a whole of our Torah. Not that I don't want to break into a whole of our Torah, but um, Rav Pincus explains that's the debate. I'm, I'm going to skip ahead to Hanukkah, right? Basil, do you count up or do you count down? So what would be the argument for everyone likes Basil, mostly the whole, add, add more light, more light, more light. Where does Beishamai come up with like less, less, less? And he says Beishamai's approach is less is more. So mm-hmm. you start with a lot. And, you know, in the world of cooking, in the world of cooking, apparently you make a um, a reduction. A red right. wine a Red wine. Red reduction. wine redu- okay. Okay. I recently, I recently cooked for my family. I, I saw I that made, video. <laughs> I made some, I made some uh, delicious steaks with a red wine reduction, pan seared in a... Uh, Cast iron, iron skillet in a cast iron skillet, correct? With a little rosemary, a little thyme. I'm, I'm happy to share the recipe with anyone who wants. But anyway, but but you make a reduction, a red wine reduction. You make a chicken stock reduction, and that's what you're doing. You're creating a reduction in your life by having less, but it's much more intense. It's 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 that, and it's also the fact that you know me. I'm not a reader, so knowing that someone else might enjoy it. So there are a bunch of books I have, which I just could never give away. And some of them I actually found because they're you know messages that someone gave me a book, and I would never never part with those. But there's some books I've read. There's no chance I'm ever going to read it again. I mean, getting through it once or getting through most of it once is already a big deal. Yeah. You know, so I just gave away like three of them. I'm like, I know this person would benefit from it much more now than I would ever mm. benefit. So I'm like, let's just share it. You know, unbelievable. So. We had the last two days going on a BRS. Really proud of it. A um, pay what you want market. Big shout out to our dear friend Shalom Legassi. Uh, we did it before Pesach. People, you know, inflation and economy, recession, people are hurting. Yantif's super expensive. I know that 
while many count down and look forward and they're excited, others panic and dread and fear. How am I going to have what we need? So we uh, we raised a lot of money. Thank God, nothing to do with me or even us. It's the generous people in the community put together the money, Shlomi, and the parking lot. We have incredible open market, yeah. all kinds of food, and there's just a box. And just pay what you want. You could take $200 worth of food and put a dollar. Take $200 worth of food and put $300. Nobody asks, nobody looks. You pay what you want. And just the feedback has been really, really amazing. And we're we're proud of that. And I share that not to not to flex or show off a little, a little bit, but but just maybe to suggest others, you know, it's there, there's there's small ways that we can relieve some of the extra stress that other people have before before a holiday. And the people who have and can help, they want to help. You just give them the outlet, give them the excuse, give them the platform right. to help. There right. are people who have that money, they can help, which is a great time. My my our dear friend Jonathan Donath reminded me to uh, plug daily giving and the one-on-one -on -one campaign, daily giving, Shuba Tzvilot Staka, right? The winning formula for severe judgment. So Staka is one of them. And a lot of, there were a big bump that came from behind the BMO when we had Dr. Donath on. Daily giving is an incredible platform. You can go right to daily giving to give. You can do it through our one-on-one -on -one campaign, which I right. hope you will because it's very much still needed. So okay. I just got to tell you something. I spoke to him yesterday about something else. And 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 he told me, I got to share these videos with you because he heard about the the Achtis and the unity that we're trying to to, to build here and, and through Torah. And, and he says, you're going to love this video. So I thought, again, like how impress me. I want to see something great on unity. Like right. everyone you know, talks a big game, but I want to see something. I'm telling you, you know me, I don't get emotional. I'm not an emotional kind of guy. This one is like, it touches you. And I know I'm only going to, you know what? This is a spoiler alert. Cause I'm going to tell you what it is. Cause no one's going to go watch the video. I don't even have the link to the video, <laughs> but let me just tell you what it does. And it's such an awesome, I'm going to set it up. You have basically five or six different types of people getting into, into an elevator. They're all Jewish, but very different. Let's say different types, older and younger. All of a sudden, they're all annoyed by each other because it's a very tight space. <laughs> you can just picture it. We've all been in that space. And then you're, you're just watching it. And it's like weird. It's like 30 seconds in. And like, what's going to happen? All of a sudden, all of their phones at the exact same time get a message. Daily giving. You just you, you got your it. update. I and they it. all walk out best friends. It's the great. It. Staka. Staka. Tatsa Mimavas. So Staka. Everyone do your part. And we'll end with this thought. We're going to bring on Judge Dan Butler in a moment just an extraordinary human being and the perfect person on the cusp on the eve of Rosh Hashanah to get us in that mood. But I, I just wanted to share, you know, something I plan on doing and maybe others can benefit from as well is, you know, we go into Rosh Hashanah. A lot of people right now is their annual like, guilt, shame, struggle. I'm not there. I'm not in the mood. I haven't done anything to prepare. I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. What's Rosh Hashanah going to be? And I'll just give an exercise I'm doing, and I think it'd be really worthwhile. You know, we come with our own machzer, we get to shul, and we take a machzer, and we turn those pages, and maybe there are moments where we're thinking about ourselves, our family, or others. Write on a piece of paper. Just write down people. Stick it in your machzer or your pocket. Come to shul and be looking at it several yeah. times yeah. during davening. While you're singing, while the chazan's going on, in your own personal amida, look at it. I hope everyone will have Esther T. Labasari Atzipora on their, on their list, you know? This is now eight months that Rabbi Moskowitz has not been on behind the bima, and and what he and they are going through, and and she's sweet, delicious, incredible, yummy little girl, and 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 Hashem, we protest, we object. She needs to be at full strength. She deserves. We need the world needs a healthy Esti Moskowitz. The world needs Rabbi and Rebbe Moskowitz back. So everybody's got to have on their list. But you know, you're going to say, well, my kids or my spouse or my parents, they're well, they're healthy. Why would I write their name down? So I'm telling you, I actually do this every day in my sitter. I have my kids' names, each their name, you know, Ben, only one Ben, but Bas, their, their mother. 
And every day at the end of davening, I don't do it in my Amidah, I look at it. And as I look at each child, I think about I think about them. I'm grateful for something good going on or think about something that I'm hoping or that they're they're struggling with or because all of us in life, you know, nothing special them. But before Rosh Hashanah, take a piece of paper and write down who in your life is trying to have a child, who in your life is trying to get married, who in your life needs a refuah shlema. And everyone should write down their spouse, their children, their parents, if you have what you have, spouse, parents, children. Just look at those names because here's the thing. Last Rosh Hashanah, there are people who are not here in this world anymore who nobody thought they needed to daven for last Rosh Hashanah. There are people fighting for their lives now who last Rosh Hashanah nobody thought you need to daven for. If you don't think you need to daven for someone or for yourself, just daven that that continue and the other shoe doesn't drop. Just daven that you never take anything for granted and be grateful for what you have. So I don't know, that's really weighing heavily on my mind, something I'm doing, maybe others can as well. And I'm, I'm imploring and begging everyone out there that on your list with your family and with people you know who need things, Esther Tehila Basari Al just make sure she's on your list. Yeah. Okay. Okay, on that note. <laughs> on that note, Judge Dan Butler, Pittsburgh, incredible person, lost his son Mikey 18 years ago, has two grown autistic children live at home. He and Nina's amazing wife, what they do for Camp Ask, NCSY, the Pittsburgh community. Uh, just just a breath of fresh air, a ball of energy, absolutely incredible, extraordinary person, and it's really an honor to be able to have him. We are so excited to be joined by Judge Dan Butler. Thank you for letting us go behind the beam of this very, very busy and hectic time, but so meaningful for us before we come before the judge to go behind the beam with a judge to help us prepare. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So, Judge Butler, there's there's almost nothing that you haven't done. You've been a syndicated columnist, a security salesman, a professor, a store manager, director for NCSY, a law clerk, prosecutor, family court, a district judge. You have such vast, vast experience, not even touching on, and we'll come back to your, your personal life, of course, which has so much for us to learn. But let's go right to your role as a judge, what I alluded to. We're all going to be coming before the judge just a few days from now. What can you say that could help us prepare when people correct in a billion many ways but yet also similarities that we can draw from it right the fact that chazal or even the torah itself uses the language of god as a judge is to evoke from us the imagery of our familiarity with a judge and a courtroom and uh, the notion of our fate being in someone else's hands so the litigants who come before you the people who come before you what, what can you tell us as a judge to help us prepare to come before the capital J judge? Wow. Hmm. I, I said, we said <laughs> Slichus at 1.30 in the morning this week in Kasopolis, Michigan at an NCSY convention. We had 200 kids in a camp in rural Michigan, southwestern Michigan. And uh, what we told the kids is what we've always been told our whole lives. Hashem is listening. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Once again, when I moved into the judicial position I currently have, I, uh, the elderly judge uh, who had preceded me gave me a little bit of advice. And one of the three things that he told me, two of which are totally irrelevant, this is not a Jewish person, but an old experienced judge. He said, have Rahmanas. Right. And that's what we all hope for because none of us is perfect. 
and we know no matter how proud we are of ourselves or what we do that we're like we're nothing and we have to signify that we understand that and that we understand that we have a we all have a lot of work to do how, how do you balance justice with have rahmanas with compassion right if someone violated the law and the law calls for certain consequences so how do we balance and how do we expect so to say any compassion god shows us in a sense is unjust and yet we're asking for it how does it work here and lahavdil what can we take away from that with what we're asking him well what i do now is about 20 percent uh civil and about 80 percent criminal and in criminal law Nebuch, many of the people i'm gonna sometimes you encounter real evil but many of the people i deal with just have mental health problems hmm. and they need rahmanas yes it's true they're technical violators but that won't help anybody what they need to be directed into something that'll return them or sometimes restore them to normal life and that's the toughest challenge and the truth of the matter is we all have days when we are at the edge and we all need help from up above to restore us to normal life. That's that's an interesting strategy because maybe one of the ways we can approach Rosh Hashanah and coming before the judge is that um, you know we all have health challenges, mental, spiritual, and we're imperfect and we we to a degree are accountable. But kind of make the argument, God, it doesn't serve you, your world, or us to sideline us or punish us. Rehabilitate us. Right, show some Rahmana so that we can be healthy and live our fullest version of ourselves for you and for your vision for us. Maybe that, maybe what you practice is exactly a great, compelling argument that we can make. I'll tell you the truth. I have an interesting perspective on all young Tobin because we have two adult autistic kids at home. One of them is 36 and uh, he's high functioning but he has a, an employer right down the street in our local kosher pizza shop where he has worked for 22 years. Wow. And they are incredibly tolerant. Nevertheless, this blonde, blue-eyed, six-foot-one, 200-pound kid of Ukrainian-slash-Polish origin has gotten into his head that he is a Yemenite. <laughs> and he spends his time on jewsofyemen.net and he's learned the nusach and he insists that he has to go at six o'clock in the morning, all of Elul, like the Svardim do, wow. to say slichas. And uh, for a kid who's on the job for 12, 13 hours a day, that conflicts tremendously with his medications, to say the least. On the other hand, our other son is 39. They call him the mayor of Camp Ask. And Hurry. he's the equivalent, maybe, he's about seven mentally. But he's the happiest person in the world. In his whole right. Rosh Hashanah, there's no concept of Aveira. There's no concept of Charata. There's no concept of Tshuva. There's just apples and honey and, and in Shul. And his favorite time is Yom Kippur because he gets to clap al Khait half the day. And he's happy. And that happiness is something that sometimes people who are objective look at him and say, wow, I wish I could be like that. And the truth of the matter is, Many of us have, would feel that we had a good year if we're happy. And being a Sameach Bechalko is the most important thing of all. If you ask either of those, those two kids, what would you like for your birthday? They don't have an answer. They have whatever they want and need, and they don't really. There's a million hmm. things out there they could. 
but they're happy. Or his happiness is contagious. Time for music, time for music. And he's just, right. that smile, it's contagious, it's infectious. And it's not only his happiness, being around him, it becomes your happiness, really special. Right, he's actually, uh, I forgot, he's been to your show. Yep. He's, yeah, yeah he's, a very special Neshama. And that happiness is just, it makes all the difference in the world. And I, I encounter, I go around to a lot of different places. I speak in a lot of colleges. I do NCSY. And I'm astounded by how many people who, from the perspective of our grandparents, our grandparents will look at us now and think Mashiach came. The way we live, all the things that we have. I mean, you live in a place like Boca Raton where I, I from what I understand, even bugs are against the law. And, and I mean, we're, we're living in such incredible opulence, even the, even the lowest of us. And uh, most people are not happy. It astounds me sometimes. So I, I had many more questions about your being a judge, and I want to get Rabbi Brody in, but I, I can't help but skip right to this then. You know, you just described two um, autistic adult children at home. And of course, your beloved Mikey, Allah Shalom, a blessed memory. I know it was his 18th year at sight. And, and also what a special, what a special person, resilient person, special soul you've been through and you go through on a daily basis so much and you, and, and we've been blessed to have your wife in our community too. And to get to know her a little bit, you don't wear that on your sleeve. You don't act resentful, bitter, negative, angry. You, you are examples of happiness. There's, there's a place where Uri gets it from your, your happiness. How? There are people who are going through a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction in, in, in a decade, what you go through maybe in a week. And they walk around the bitter and negative and, and, and feeling entitled or victimized and, and down and out. And, and you have that happiness. How? How do you, how do, you do it? We say, I call Why is everything depend on luck even for the Sefer Torah that's in the Aaron Kodesh? Why? Because there are 10 in there. To be the one that's picked, you also have to be lucky. Yeah. I have the incredible good fortune to have a fabulous marriage. And that makes all the difference in the world. And I, I spent decades in family court where everybody's miserable, everyone's unhappy. And I actually learned in the process how to sit down with them and just give them perspective and solve their problems. And it got to the point where I could settle almost anything in family court. And, and I would walk out and, and to re-enter my world, leave it all behind, shed it like a cheap coat because I have the bracha of a good marriage. I mean, our, our son, Mikey, uh, who lived to 24 and, and spent literally half of his life in the hospital and got lung transplants and then got cancer from his new lungs. In all of that, he used to say, when somebody would say to him, do you ever say, why me? And he used to say, why not me? He had no tinnitus whatsoever. If he had no tinnitus, how could I have tinnitus? Wow. So, and that happiness is, is natural to you and your wife? Is it learned? Does it take conscious effort? Do you have down days that even, you know, we see the happiness? Is there a tough day that you say, wow, you know, I'm tired. This is tough. Um, I try, I learned from my father a long time ago. I try never to be down and it annoys people sometimes. It really does. I mean, I come from a, a, a home where uh, everything new and everything special was saved for Shabbos. But there's always a special day in the week. And even to this very day, after 45 years of marriage, we start 
working on Shabbos on Tuesday and we finish cleaning up on Monday. Shabbos is our whole world. And just by building everything around that, it makes a giant difference. People with autistic kids often have difficulty controlling them. They can't have company. My kids grew up, the one thing that penetrated them from the beginning is that we have somebody who's coming who never had Shabbos before. We have to be very careful not to ruin it for them. And they actually, they'll sometimes like say, they'll leave the room if they're in, you know, in a frame of mind where they just can't handle it. But, you know, after Kiddush and Motsi, they'll see it coming and they'll go to their own world. But it, it has worked tremendously well for us. And that, that's another aspect to it. We never pulled the covers around our heads. We always included people. We always told our story. We always brought other people into it. So that even when our son Mikey, after his lung transplants, before the cancer hit, when he was recovering in the hospital under Pesach, we had Starum in the hospital. And it was astounding how the smells got around and people showed up in the middle of the night. Oh, you have matzah, you have mar. Yeah, I remember that. And they, you know, we were able to share it with dozens and dozens of people who were in the hospital anyway, patients and doctors and nurses. It's amazing. And just, it's infectious. I've tried real hard in recent years because I didn't used to pay attention to it, but now I realize the value of it. When I walk down the street, and part of it is because I'm kind of a politician. I have one more election in my future. But, but when I walk down the street, I try to look everybody in the eye and smile at them. And it is astounding, which is what we're supposed to do, save upon the Miafos. It's astounding the effect that it has on complete strangers because they don't expect that. Hmm. And it makes a giant difference. That's tremendous. Wow. You know, first of all, it's a real honor, your honor. And uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for, your, for, for joining us. You, you, you know, Rabbi Gober referenced before your, your, your role in NCSY, uh, obviously having a, a you know, background in NCSY and then someone ha has a relationship with you from then and then they see you today as a, as a judge. It's, it seems to be almost like two different types of personalities. It's the one that's fun and outgoing and uh, we're, let, let's jump on the table and add some ruach to the room. And the judge is the one that's sitting on the bench and it's, and it's, and it's a position of, 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 of year of awe. So I'm just wondering where, where exactly do you, do you see yourself? And, uh, and I guess, right. you, you know, in your, in your relationship with a Kodesh Baruch Hu coming in front of him right now and, and you know, leading up to Rosh Hashanah is, it, 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 is is it is it is it you know the the, the Abba the Father or is it is, is it or is it the the, the the mighty King that that we're coming in front of right now? I have uh, I live in two different worlds. So that I do, for instance, domestic violence court. A reporter from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette sat with me one afternoon. I had eighty-five domestic violence cases. Nobody from our world was there. And now I know that's not true everywhere, but in that, that portion of the world that is outside of the New York metropolitan area that's known generally as out of town or America, there, those two worlds do not generally collide. Well, it's true that we, what is it they say in Yiddish, that sometimes we, by exposure to the alien culture, we mimic what they do. Baruch Hashem, in my experience, and I deal with criminals of every kind all day, in my experience, those two worlds have not collided. And that makes a giant difference. 
My NCSY persona is a completely different person than sits in court. But nevertheless, I try to inject some of at least the, you can't really do humor in court, but at least the objectivity and the, uh, I try not to get mad no matter how bad it gets. And that makes a big difference too. With regard to the Eberster, that's a whole different thing. I mean, I go, when, when my grandson is comes to show, my grandson who lives literally next door, and his name is Mikey, in fact, when he comes and sits next to me in show on Rosh Hashanah, he's sitting in his great-great-grandfather's seat in our 100-year-old show. And I feel it. We have the Minig in our show for some reason. I've never seen it anywhere else, but you could, your experience is probably more extensive than that than mine. In our show, we all have set seats. You know, you come, I come to the morning mini, you have one seat in the base medrash. We're always in the fifth row of the base medrash and the fifth row of the main show on Shabbos. But Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, for some reason that stems from the minhagam of the show, we have different seats. We sit. We happen to sit by the Mizrach van. And in fact, if there's a Shabbos Shuvah in between, we sit back in our regular Shabbos seats then. But it makes a difference. It gives it a special aura. It's a special right. place. I sat there with my father my whole life. And before him, my grandfather. And now my grandson sits there with me. And that, that makes a giant difference. It, it injects a certain solemnity, a certain aura. That must be so so bittersweet. Um, calling your grandson Mikey, right? The, the the comfort that he's named for, but the reminder on the regular on the regular basis. And we'll come back to in a moment Mikey's legacy. But you, you've referenced living out of town or small town, and even what you just described about the set seats and the shul. Can we talk about out of town for a moment? Uh, Boca, in some people's mind, is out of town. We now call New York out of town. We are town. Uh, when I got married, my wife Yochevet, who was a major Hask alumni, was uh, from the five towns from Long Island, and I grew up in Teaneck. And at the time, we were married 25 years. She told people she was marrying someone from out of town. Tinek was out of town. So out of town is relative. Out of town is relative. Is there a pizza store, a bakery, what options, and so on? But Pittsburgh, probably everybody would agree, and I say I use nothing derogatory about it, is out of town. What, what are the advantages, disadvantages? What's the argument for out of town? Uh, how do you feel when people use the expression out of town versus in town? Well, I mean, it's New Yorkers are different. Uh, when when I go to London, I tell them that New Yorkers refer to them as out of town. But in my neighborhood, Squirrel Hill, which became famous four years ago because of Tree of Life, it's a very, very concentrated Jewish neighborhood, and it's the only real Jewish neighborhood. So everybody lives there, and everybody has to get along. We have a lot of Chabad, we have a lot of, we have uh, Kolel, we have, we have all of the indicia of Jewish life. We have, uh, of course, a couple of mikvahs. We have uh, an Arab. We have we have an extensive Arab. To give you some idea, my wife is the head of Bicker Cholim. It's a totally volunteer operation, but it's amazing what she does constantly, taking care of people from the minute they land until the minute they take off, meals and accommodations and everything, all with volunteers. But they, as a result of that, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, UPMC, which is the largest employer in Pennsylvania with 80,000 employees, wow. has extended the A-Roof from Squirrel Hill to all of their hospitals, including to a hospital that's not even in their system. Huh. 
which is an amazing thing. And and it's not because we're such big customers. There's just something about it. And the relationship with people, you know, there's a lot of talk now about anti-Semitism in America. And they talk about it as that it came from, it started with Pittsburgh, with Tree of Life and everything. It was such an aberration that that afternoon at Mincha time, two blocks from my house in the commercial center of Squirrel Hill, this small Jewish neighborhood in a relatively medium-sized city, thousands of people came in Chatan. You couldn't get through the street. Stood there in the rain holding their phones up or whatever. It was an unbelievable sight because people in this community did not tolerate it. Every single storefront had a sign stronger than hate, which was a variation on the Pittsburgh Steelers logo with a mug and it. They had billboards all over. The Pittsburgh police put that logo on the side. Imagine a municipal police department put this logo with the mug and dove it on their doors of their mm. cars. Mm. And it's different. We have that kind of relationship with the people around us. And, and, and an interesting, and this isn't what you asked about at all, but once I go off on a tangent, go for the, it. The, the interesting thing about it is in Pittsburgh, there's is a Hebrew Kaddisha, Rabbi Wasserman, who just made Ali, Aliyah, uh, had put together this uh, and single-handedly built a, a vibrant working Hebrew Kaddisha. He even got involved in a federal lawsuit to protect his right as a rabbi against the funeral association or whatever they were. And at the same time, in recent years, right before Tree of Life, the conservative and reform in our community had banded together to create a Hever Kedisha. First of all, with Tree of Life, the trauma was so incredible that only that everybody stepped back and let the Orthodox Hever Kedisha take care of everything. My wife did Shmirah in the coroner's office. There, there was a, at one point on Wednesday after that Shabbos, Rabbi Wasserman and the FBI agent who was in charge of collecting evidence and had literally been there 24 hours from the time it happened. He and Rabbi Wasserman were just standing there amid the mayhem with their arms around each other crying. And, and uh, these, the, the, after everything had been cleaned up and after the shivas and after the rallies and after all the stuff they had, the two Hebra Kaddishas got together and went and cleaned the shul. Took the blood off the sedurum, and uh, I mean, you can't imagine. The man used a, a 7.62 millimeter round from an AR-15, is like that long and that big around, and it spirals so that if Pastor Shalom hits somebody in the finger, it literally takes off a hand. And he used hundreds of bullets, and it was sprayed everywhere. They had to roll up the carpet in the children's room because it was too blood soaked. And they took everything. They worked for days and days. My wife stood with a Q-tip and, and uh, I don't know what, whatever the substance was, and cleaned the blood off the graduation pictures that were hanging in the, in the halls there. And then they went together, all of them, and they buried everything. Standing back objectively four years later, Several of the families from the conservative and reform Hebrew Kaddisha who had bonded with these other people are sending their kids to day school now, to our day school, which never would have happened in a million years. You know, there, we're, there's an African proverb that's 
almost relevant. When elephants dance, ants get trampled. When big things are happening, we don't really understand the effect on us, the little people. Right. And, and with all that happened, being in this community, I'll give you an example. There's no community like this in the country. We're a pretty big sized Jewish community. There's 45,000 Jews in the Pittsburgh area. Every shul everywhere has a Shabbos Shuvah drasha, has a Shabbos Agadal drasha. In Pittsburgh, there are a Bunham get together. They designate one shul. Wow. And a rub, and a rub from another, from two other shuls go and give drushas that day. We've been doing it for 20 some years. Hmm. Actually, the first one was. That's Rabbi correct. Rabbi. Okay. Rabbi, you up for that? Come that's on. Amazing. Ch- yeah. Challenges, gonna, challenges on right now. If anyone else would like and to that's, give it this year. And that's everybody. That's. Well, this year, I think it's going to be in Chabad, and the rabbi from uh, the the other show is going to come. I mean, there's nothing like that anyplace. That's the way it's supposed to be. We all know each other. We all see each other. Is there, you know, are there the normal little stresses and frictions? Of course, just like in any family. But everybody's kind of on the same channel. So there's some disadvantages to a out-of-town community, but you're describing some of the intangibles and and that rich quality of, of a life that in in a in a huge city um, you can't have. And and one is not there's no judgment. One's not necessarily better than the other, but but people are different. They're looking for something different. I, I find sometimes the in-town people might say about Pittsburgh, like, why do you stay there? Why are you there? Well, you don't have to live there. Why do you remain there? And they're they don't mean to be insulting just a lack of understanding because they can't really right. they might say that and they did say not long ago now they're moving here but they did say not long ago the same thing about about boca too i, I will I, i'm going to get letters about this people angry at me but it wasn't <laughs> me we had a very prominent rosh Hashiva, a very prominent gadol was in our community years ago on a friday night met with clay kodish of the community and one of the machancham asked him and said uh rebbe said to the rosh Hashiva, should i feel guilty i'm raising my children out of town and he said, feel guilty. Why? Because they're going to be nice and respectful, patient and understanding. Uh, again, don't send me letters. I understand. There's advantages. Different. You can't make generalizations. Everywhere, everything is different. But on behalf of different types of out-of-town communities, there's a lot to be said for us, too. I quote you sometimes because I sat next to you on your Bima a few years ago. And I said, you have a lot of New Yorkers here. And you said, yeah, we sent the bus around and we only picked up the nice people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. But I'll, give you a, I'll offer you a case study. My daughter, my beautiful, incredible daughter, my only daughter out of five kids, um, went to the school literally next door her whole life, from pre-kindergarten through the 12th grade. With Her graduating class was six kids. And then they went to Stern together. And then she came back and she lives next door. And she married her brother's roommate from Gush NYU and NCSY. And, and her kids go to the school now. And they're from, and they're, they're happy. And it's a decent life. And I'm not sure what we're missing, except maybe, you know, we only have one pizza, actually a new pizza shop is opening up in Carnegie Mellon University. But we have a great pizza shop already. We have one Flachic restaurant. We have, you know, we don't have as much variety, but we wouldn't trade it for anything. Let's go back and talk, if if it's not too difficult, about Mikey. I know that you recently sure. uh, 
Yeshiva University established, established a scholarship in, in his memory, which is a really meaningful and beautiful tribute. I know um, Rabbi Dr. Lem, Sakhron Lavracha, um, extended tremendous kindness and, and, and made Mikey uh, feel he belonged. And I know why you extended itself. Tell us, to, tell us and, and our listeners, in that short, way too short a life, what's, what's Mikey's legacy? What, what do we learn? What are some stories that stick out to you that we can be inspired by uh, about the legacy that he left behind? Mikey had three great loves. NCSY, he was the drummer for NCSY in five regions, and he never passed up the opportunity to talk to anybody. And he was, he used to say, I have cystic fibrosis, cystic fibrosis doesn't have me. What you got from our neighbor down the street, another kid with cystic fibrosis who passed away a few years before him, Rafi. And, uh, Mikey's big dream, uh, he, he worked at Camp Ask. He was never able to be a counselor there because he didn't have the physical stamina to stay through the whole summer. But he was their computer geek, he was their drummer, and he loved every second of it. And he loved what they did. He loved the place. He's, he, he spoke once at the Haas concert, and the tape of that is included in the uh, CD they put out for uh, the 10 greatest moments or something like that in, in Hask. Um, but he really, really wanted to go to YU for one semester. It wasn't practical for a kid who's oxygen dependent, spends half his life in the hospital, takes 70 or 80 doses of medication a day. It was not a practical dream for a kid like that to expect that he could go off to New York. But he did. It was his, I always say it was his first choice school, his second choice school, his safety school. It's the only school he applied to. He applied and he went. And the first week he got sent home because he was too sick to be there. And when he got back two weeks later to pick up his stuff because his dream had not been realized, there was a note, go see the dean. He went to the dean. I had called them and said, is it possible for a kid who can't possibly be there for more than half the time to ever expect that he could graduate? And the dean called him in and said, young man, you're going to graduate from Yeshiva University. Whatever it takes, we'll get you through. And they did. We bought him a car. He put 125,000 miles on that car going back and forth to YU, three weeks in, three weeks out, two weeks in, two weeks out. And when he was out, he went to Shabbatons everywhere. He loaded the car up with band equipment and oxygen, and he went. He got more, we used to say, he got more out of those years than anybody we know. He did so much more. And then after three years, he ran for vice president of the student body because I didn't think it was fair to run for president. He was only there half the time. And he won, right. no problem. And then within a few weeks of the beginning of the first term, he had to go home. He needed a lot of it. He said, hey, it was time. And I called YU again. I said, uh, you know, I understand if you, we borrowed the money to pay for that last term, and if you, kid disappears, then they forfeit the money. He's not coming back this year. He's not coming back. Who knows if he'll ever come back? But is it possible to bank the money? And someday if he comes back, well, he'll be able to fit right in. And the next week, Rabbi Liam flew to Pittsburgh. And in a moment that was memorialized in the front page of Pittsburgh's newspapers and on the evening news, awarded a diploma from YU to Mikey Butler, who was brought there by ambulance under oxygen. And, and I, I can't begin to tell you what a giant Roshan, what, what an impression it made on everyone involved. 
Jewish, non-Jewish, everything, that we're different. We are different. And then so many little things. Mikey got his lung transplants. Why you changed their constitution, this is after a big debate, that uh, so that if you're the vice president of the student body and you've graduated already, you can still be vice president of the student body until your class graduates. And then he actually made it to his class graduation at Madison Square Garden. And at that magical moment, I always say like the end of a Disney movie, when Rabbi Lamb called him up and gave him his, he already had his diploma, I think he gave him a dummy, but he put his arms around him and he got, they got a standing ovation. You don't find that at Harvard or Yale or even Lakewood maybe, I don't know. But that, that's, that's who he was. Did he ever come to you expressing fear? And, and if so, did as a father, what do you say to him? Two weeks before he died, he said, Abba, and he, was, he had been on a respirator for four months. He had had three rounds of chemo. And the fourth time it came back, it literally came back and killed him in three days. I mean, the, the non-Jewish doctor, the Egyptian doctor, I'll answer your question in a second. Egyptian doctor who had given him stem cell transplants, the first time in the world that any recipient of a major organ got stem cell transplants because you got to match two people and they don't possibly match. They tried it anyway. And the doctor called me seven o'clock in the morning after Mikey died. And he said, I can't believe Mikey died. I said, you're the oncologist. You saw the tumors, you know what was happening. Right. He said, yeah, but it was Mikey. I thought we'd get another miracle. Mm. Mm. You know, our Rav used to say is Malumad Benison. That was, uh, that was him. But two weeks before he died on his uh, respirator, and we learned he couldn't talk because he had a, a trach in. And one of the antibiotics they gave him during his lung transplant, which they knew that would do it, but they had to kill a certain type of germ, made him deaf. So I would talk to him and he would read my lips and I, he would talk to me and I would read his lips. I was on Shabbos during the week. He would type into his computer, which was hooked up to a voice synthesizer and it would talk and he would mouth the words. So he really couldn't tell the difference. He was lip syncing himself. But he said to me, he said, Abba, I'm not afraid to die, but I love life. He said mm -hmm. that after four months on a respirator, he couldn't move, he couldn't, he had only one working eye because he, he got cataracts that made him blind from, from anti-rejection drugs. And he had the laser surgery that cleared up one of his eyes so he could use his laptop and communicate with people. And he did. We used to tell him, you know, you have, even in the ICU, you could do chesed. We used to tell him, go, uh, you know, talk. And he would talk to hundreds of people day and night from the ICU. To, uh, during Shiva, a lady from Denver, sent us uh, sent sent us the email that he had sent her the afternoon that he passed away. He, she had written to him, Mikey, I have breast cancer and I'm getting radiation. Will it hurt? And he explained to her about radiation and then he ended up, and the amazing thing was his hands were like this because he had a very high CO2 level because of the lung problems. Mm -hmm. So it's impossible to imagine how he wrote her a clear email, but he did. And he wrote back and he said, he told her everything about radiation. And he said, if you have any more questions, get back in touch with me. I'm not going anywhere, he said on his last mm -hmm. afternoon. 
This is the same kid who later that day when his doctor, Joel Weinberg, had just recently made Aliyah, when, when Joel Weinberg came in and said, Mikey, I gotta go check your x-rays. Mikey showed him that he had wirelessly hacked into the hospital system and had his x-rays on his computer and probably yours too. Now, so what am I gonna tell you? His, his brother, his best friend and his younger brother, Gavri, um, came to visit him the Shabbos before he passed away. And he said, wow, what a great Shabbos it was because Gavri came to visit him. It was in reality, objectively speaking, not such a great Shabbos, but it's all a matter of perspective. It's really this week's Parsha, Uvacharta Vachayim. That's his legacy, is you have Bracha and Klala, Mavis and, and Chaim, Uvacharta Vachayim. Even like you said, even in an ICU, you can choose life and do chesed no matter your circumstance. And that what a legacy. So, so you're a week ahead of me, but I always look at last week's parsha, okay, <laughs> where you bring your Bikurim and you have to recite your whole history and you have to take stock and you have to acknowledge and, and list all of the obligations to the community and to Aniyam and to Almanus and to everybody, the Kohanim that you have and you fulfilled all those obligations. And then the Torah gives a clear instruction be happy with all that you have, with all Hashem gave you. That's a clear instruction. It's a mitzvah from the Torah. But wait, none of the Moneha mitzvah count that as a mitzvah. That's advice. The Torah is telling us every once in a while, when you've done what you're supposed to do and you can account for it, stop for a minute, be happy. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday. Today is a good day. That's how we live. And that's how we got through all kinds of things like that. Is there a story about Mikey sneaking out of the hospital to go play the drums? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he was supposed to be in the ICU that Shabbos. And he insisted he wanted to stay in his regular room. So they let him stay in his regular room, which is at that point right near the nurse's station. He was supposed to play the drums at Rabbi Wasserman's son's bar mitzvah at the show. There was no way he was getting a pass from the hospital on Motzei Shabbos to go and play the drums, especially when he was in that situation. So he used to say he bribed the nurse. I personally think he blackmailed the nurse. But then he hacked into the hospital system and changed all of his medication orders from in-hospital to out-of-hospital so that they would deliver portable IVs to his room. Then he flat out stole uh, an oxygen tank I say stole at twenty thousand dollars a day, you know, and and called a, and called a cab, and his friends went to my mother's house where we kept the drums and picked up the drums and set them up on the stage in the show, and he showed up with his IVs and his oxygen, climbed up on the stage and didn't miss a beat. Unbelievable. Except that uh, his doctor Joel Weinberg goes and invited guests at that apartment, so it got ugly. <laughs> He went from the bar mitzvah back to the hospital. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but uh, I mean, in, in, before, Mikey was the, was the uh, I was just at the Central East NCSY uh, Shabbat town. We had 200 kids, like I said, in Kasopolis, Michigan. And that's where we did sleepless at 1.30 in the morning with a lot of kids who had never done that before. And um, when we... It was about six months before Mikey passed away, and he was getting his third chemotherapy, and he was getting it on Friday, and he was supposed to be the drummer, but there's no way he could be the drummer if he was getting chemotherapy on Friday. It's totally debilitating. He had lost all his hair. He was bleeding from his ear. It was a mess. 
So they had the big convention and then they had their banquet where they award all, give awards to all the kids on Sunday night. The whole thing goes through Sunday. And Mikey, I was actually at the convention. Mikey was in the hospital, he got out and he got my wife to drive him from Pittsburgh to Cleveland to uh, be at this thing, wheeled him in in a wheelchair. And then he asked, could he play a song on the drums? Could he play with the band for one song? So his brother picked him up, put him in the drum seat. Hmm. And everything stopped. The schedule went out the window. The kids sat down on the floor in front of the band and he played for three hours. And at his shiva, I heard one doctor telling the other doctor the story. And she said, I know it's not possible, but I saw it. I was there. I mean, it, he just. It shows life. Absolutely. It shows life till he couldn't anymore. And that's powerful for people going through and, things. And every Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I have that strange feeling that I had for so many years when he stood next to me on those times he wasn't in the hospital. You know, when it comes to the son of Tokev, right. you talk about that's the real thing. And you really feel it when you know who knows what's going to happen. And if it happens, you know, do we have any questions? Sure. Do we have any answers? No. Does it matter? No, there's so much we don't understand. How can we presume to understand why what happens happens? We always say Mikey crammed more into his 24 years than most people do in a lifetime. It was it was 18 years ago that he passed away. Um, do, do you remember the types of things that people said and did that was helpful um, as opposed to and I'm not going to ask you to list and you know all the parodies of the the dumb things people say just because they don't know what to say nobody means right. poorly but but if someone had a friend going through a tough time with a child um, even before he passed away when it was towards the end what, what are the types of things that people can can say or do or gestures or check in that that that's meaningful when you're going through such a thing it's a terrible terrible club to be in but what i found to be amazing was how many people who had lost children and who had lost siblings younger people who had lost siblings just showed up and they did what the halacha taught us back in eov you know they sat quietly and it's it's for most i don't know if this is true for everybody my wife says i always have to use up their words but it was beneficial to us a simple question about him not as much a statement there's it's hard to give nechama people would say there are no words because we had been through such a giant public thing and when somebody said during Shiva, there are no words, my kids would say cha-ching because they heard it a thousand times. Right. And there are no words, but just the presence, just being there and maybe offering a, a simple question that is a fiscal pet that gives somebody the opportunity to tell you the stories that they have percolating inside of them and that they find so therapeutic by being able to share. 
Who are, who are the inspirations in your life? Uh, you mentioned uh, your family and and that tradition and Pittsburgh and that same shul, those same seats. But are there are there teachers, both rebbeim within the Jewish world in your career as a judge? I believe Mr. Rogers uh, is uh, somebody that you have an affinity for. Who who are the inspirations or, or had an impact in your life and and this remarkable perspective that you share with us? Back in the days before they had standards, I went to the yeshiva in Scranton. Hmm. Uh, I was I was in their very first class, and the Rosh Hashiva, Chaim Bressler, was my rebbe for two of the four years I was there, and he was a remarkable rebbe. And I still talk to him. He's a lot older now than he used to be. <laughs> I found that with a lot of people, <laughs> but I, but I. I <laughs> He was our, our, our Masada Kedushan, and it was his first time. I think he was as nervous as I was. But I still have a relationship with him. A lot of the good practical things he told me and a lot of the stories he told were the bread and butter that I lived with my first few years in NCSY. They got me through. Um, I have a great friend, a guy named Ivan Lerner, who was my Rebbe in NCSY. Uh, just a guy that a lot of people know uh, in Detroit, Gary Torgo, who I always say is my best friend. I'm his best friend in my zip code, who just can't do enough good and is an incredible example in so many ways, in so many ways, to for tzedakah and chesed and for putting and for dealing with what we're talking about. He recently had his own personal tragedy. Uh, he's a remarkable person. My wife is a chesed machine. I can't even keep up with her. She's, it's not enough for her to, to um, make a Shabbos meal for somebody who's in the hospital, who's a vegan and also doesn't eat fish and won't eat eggs and won't eat wheat, but she packages it as, as if it were Shalach from Pomegranate, New York, because anything that's worth doing is worth overdoing. And there are just so many remarkable people around us. Just, uh, I mean, the people at Camp Hask, you, you know Judah Michelle. Sure. He, is, he is a beacon of optimism and happiness. He infects everyone around him with, with the feeling that you can do good things and they'll make you a better person, which is very true. You know, when somebody, I had a woman recently in my courtroom, Lahavdo, such a different world. She had a 24-year-old son that she lost tragically, was shot. And she says, how do you go through? I, you know, I commiserated with her because I said it's a terrible club to be in. And I also had a 24-year-old son that we lost. She said, how do you go through every day? And I said, I learned from my wife that one of the most helpful things is to do good things for other people and that that makes a difference. And this lady thought about it for a minute. She said, that's terrific advice. I'm going to try that. Mm. Sounds more like a therapy room than a than a courtroom. Well, I mean, we get a lot of that. Um, um, what do they say? Eov is, is the only guy in Tanakh who's a hero of uh, one of the Sifri Tanakh because the message of Eov, which I guess Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, uh, is for everybody. Everybody needs it. Yeah. I used to have a, a older um, deputy sheriff. She was a member of the black community and she knew, she seemed to know everybody. And she guarded my courtroom back in the days when I was in family court in the 80s. And she used to say, peoples is peoples. And that's true in a lot of ways. 
we try to be a little bit different. You know, I always tell the story when Mikey was had his graduation, his YU graduation at the airport. So they had a sheriff meet Rabbi Lamb at the, I mean, a county policeman meet Rabbi Lamb at the gate and drive him in one of those carts to the office of the executive office where the graduation was and then take him back to his gate. And the cops stayed with him. If you look at the laminated picture I have from the front page of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette of that moment, the tallest guy in the room is that cop whose name was Wilson. Some years ago, he wrote us a letter, a regular, you know, handwritten letter on the yellow, uh, one of those legal pads. And he said, I stood there that day and I heard what that kid said through his oxygen. And I realized I wasn't doing enough with my life. Mm. Wow. I was just a patrolman. So I took the the course for sergeant and I took the test and I became sergeant. And then I took the course for lieutenant and I took the test and I became lieutenant. He said, a few months ago, I was diagnosed with bone cancer. And last week they amputated both of my legs. He said, I just want you to know that what that kid said that day still gets me through every day. First, now, first of all, I don't remember what the kid said that day, but here's the thing. We're supposed to be Orla Goyim. People are supposed to pass us and say, hey, I want to be like that. And that's exactly what happened. The kid with the yarmulke came and taught whatever he said, he said at his Erzatz graduation in an office. But that's what we're supposed to be. Right. You, know, you never know who's listening. Yeah, you never know who's in the room and who's listening and the impact you could have. My father was the least likely soldier in the history of the American army. He was uh, thin, and reserved and he was older than most of the people in his unit he was an advanced unit he went in on d-day it's hard to imagine them sending him in in the beginning but he was in an advanced communications unit and you know and the trauma that he had i don't know that he ever got over it but he would wake up every morning to put on his film and the guy that he lived with who had no relationship to anything he was doing. They saw that every day. And when the ships, they, they, they took the queens, Queen Anne, Queen Elizabeth, and Queen Mary, they retrofitted them. These were the luxury liners of the time. They put 15,000 hammocks on them. And they put 15, I'm sorry, they put 5,000 hammocks on them and 15,000 men. So men, you got a card and a number so that you knew that for those eight hours, that was your hammock. So if it was from four to 12, that's when you slept. So, and they sent these liners with American troops, with 15,000 American troops, a valuable treasure. They sent them individually, but surrounded by a phalanx of ships and submarines and everything. And one day in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, they were attacked by U-boats. And they, all hands on deck, everybody had all 15,000 men, most of whom couldn't swim. My father couldn't swim. They were infantry. They had their life vests on and around them, there's a battle going on. They're dropping death charges, trying to find the submarines and the whole business. And the unit that he had, I mean, the thousands of guys, the unit that he had trained with went looking for him. And finally one guy found him and they all lined up and they walked past him and they touched him. Believe me, he didn't sit and have bull sessions with them but they saw that this was somebody who had something that they didn't understand, but they recognized it. 
and they just touched him as if he were like an amulet, like a mezuzah or something. And they lined up in the middle of a battle and they touched him. It always amazed him because he said that even when they cursed, it tells you how the world has changed. Even if they cursed, they would turn to him and apologize. My father used to say as if he were a woman. I Scott Rodaris. <laughs> but you know, that that's what we're supposed to be. Not right. that people should say, oh, them, you gotta watch them carefully because they're dishonest. Class for show, you know, Rabbi Wine tells the story about the the guy his Rebbe called him in, the Rebbe called him in and said, People are saying all over town that you're a thief. He says, Rebbe, it's not true. And the Rebbe says, It should be true yet. And like Wow. It's different. You know, I once, I'm sorry, I'm probably taking more time than you No, want. please. So I've been involved with these, uh, there are a lot of uh, social service agencies that cater specifically to from people to Hasid in, in the New York area. So they have Shabbatons, I don't call them Shabbatons, but they have Shabbatons for Chizuk. And it's actually paid for by the state of New York. They have opulent Shabbatons and I've come in so a guy told me a story one time, a young Hasidic guy that he had gone to, I think it was Des Moines, Iowa. Now, I've been to Des Moines, Iowa. It's not exactly a Yiddish stadt. He was in Des Moines, Iowa, full Hasidic clay there. And he, uh, he's staying in a motel. His kid had needed some sort of treatment in a hospital there that was unique to that place. Every American city probably has their own special medical procedure. He needed Des Moines, Iowa staying in a motel with his family. He said one night he went out late at night to get a smoke. He came outside, the door locked behind him and he's in the parking lot in the back of this hotel or motel. There's a bunch of motorcycle guys there. And he looks at them and they look at him. And one of the guys comes over to him and says, we're sorry, Rabbi, we'll leave. And they did. Ershtons, he's not a rabbi. Satan's, why should they have, you know, when we went away on our first summer in the yeshiva in Scranton, I never forgot what the Rebbe said. He said, a lady came to me Hanukkah time and asked me, Rabbi, when does Pesach fall out? And I didn't know. And she said, shame on you. He said, you know, that's what people expect you would know that. Nobody knows Hanukkah time, the date of Pesach. But he said, you're Yeshiva Bachram now. People are gonna look at you and they're gonna have expectations and they have a right to those expectations and you have an obligation to live up to them. Such important lessons for yeah. life, important lessons for, for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Naraim, a new year of Mikey's legacy and being like him and, and Uri's happiness and, and your optimism, you and your wife. And, and there's so many lessons and challenges for each of us to try to live up to and to be that walking Kiddush Hashem and Orla Goyim that you're describing. Judge, thank you for giving us some time and, and we know it's a busy season and we My really, pleasure. really appreciate it. I, I owe you. I listened to your Shabbat Shuvah last year online. I'm hoping this year's will be online too. We'll, we'll figure that out. There, there, there's a lot else that we put up online. Where, uh, I know, Shabbat Shuvah. I know, but that was... That was I appreciate it. I, well, we can't wait to have you. We're going to have you back in Boca and we look forward to continuing to be inspired from you and from your light and from your energy. And we thank you. We wish you a good year of good health and, and happiness and joy and nachas from your children and grandchildren and really only the best of everything.
You two, I will tell you, Harrisburg is an even smaller town, <laughs> but they have a show and they have a mikvah and they have an Eruv and they have two supermarkets with kosher bakeries that are 24 wow. hours. There you go. Good Baruch vacation. <laughs> yeah, Good vacation. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. Thank away. you so much for your time <laughs> and best regards. Judge Dan Butler, the one and only Judge Dan Butler. What a what a wow. what an inspiration. Positivity and optimism and hope and generosity and giving. You know, sometimes you meet people like Judge Butler and you're like, is he for real? But yeah, if he's not, he's, he's been the real deal for a long time, making people think he is. So he definitely is for real. Wow. Wow. And what a community, Pittsburgh. I mean, they've been through so much, but there's so much happening that's so special. I love that idea of the Shabbos Shuvah Drusher, the Shabbos Agadal Drusher. Everyone coming together. Why not? I love how excited he was. You talk about out of town. There was no defensive or apologetic. You talk about a town. He was on fire out of town. Yeah. 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 We should all go visit places like that. You get a, you get refreshed and you start to see what, what what's really going on there. It's right. really special. I mean, they've got right. some great things. I was talking to a friend of mine, Oren Levy. He's a principal in one of the day schools there. Amazing school. He says, you know, the kids there, they actually, like, they, they're just so excited to be part of the experience of going to school. They love it. They're energized. Right. right. They're not robots. Right. You know, like, they feel a part of it. So, so what, what's the takeaway from that conversation for you going into Rosh Hashanah? Oh, so much. So much. I think that there was that one part where where he was saying how, you know, you say the Nisana Tokef and, and, and you're sitting and you're standing next to, in this case, it was his son who he knew things were not going to be good. And it's like you said before, it's like you don't know one day to the next what's going to happen. It's, it's, just, it's really just making the most of every moment. You know, I've never I've never felt so alive before. I hope this doesn't end anytime soon. Right. But um, but but I know, listen, we know there are people that are facing many challenges right now. And uh it's gonna make the best, make the best of everything. I, I love what he said. I, I may actually use it the Shabbos as the drusha. So if you're listening and you live in Boca, just Shabbos morning pretend like you didn't hear it. But yeah, that whole that whole image of the uvachart that you could do chesed from the ICU on the last day of your life. You're never right. done. Like you're never done. You're never done. You're never done. And just you take your own pain and you turn it into helping others. It's people who are tired spiritually, tired emotionally, corona. The whole world still has PTSD. Yeah. And and we we turn inwards and we feel like, what's the point and what does it matter? And but but you can, we can. There is that ability if we can tell ourselves a different story. And um, you know, he talked about Mikey with such love and affection, understandably, of course, his son, like I don't know where he got it from when he said, you know, why not me? Or, you know, his his aphorisms or the things that he would say, the positivity. It's obvious where he got it from. He grew up in your home, your shaman's table. That's where he got it from, Judge Butler. He got it from you. So also even like what we're passing on to the next generation. Right, right. You know, is right. it victimhood and negativity and pessimism? Or is it giving and, and optimism? And just that that image that you can do chesed from an ICU in the last hours of your life. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. very powerful. Yeah. Well, that's it for this year, Brody. Oh, next, man. Next behind, beam, next behind the Beam is next year. Do we start season four then? Is that how we count this? I have no idea how we calculate. I don't know. We're not in charge of that. <laughs> Those kind of big, big, big decisions, that's not for you and me. That's above that's our pay grade. That is above our pay grade. Oh, no, we didn't man. talk about it all. Oh, what's that? We didn't talk about Out of the Shadows, the uh, the new podcast on mental health that uh, right. and I did on, on Slichos Night. It's had a phenomenal response. 
just a lot of people. It, it's clearly touched a chord. I've had a lot, a lot of emails with suggestions of topics we have to tackle, right. some of which we planned and we're thinking about and others never even considered, including today, a great therapist in Israel who I really admire, um, you know, wrote to me, she has a big practice in Israel of American kids in Israel for the year. Right. So, you know, mental health and being away from home and being in Israel for the year, the cost of mental health. The, we don't treat mental health the same we do physical health in terms of insurance paying necessarily. Like the elephant in the room about mental health is many of the people who need it can't afford it. And the best people who provide it charge more than what people can afford. Yeah, it's so great. You know, mental health and shaduchim, we're going to go through, we're going to go through all these topics and hopefully take away the stigma. There was something very, very powerful that one of these, your guests said, and they said that, uh, you know, you know, people always want to know. I think you asked them, do you have to come in through a side door or, or right. you know, what if someone bumps into someone and she, there's many times someone will say, like a mother will say, just, just make sure you don't tell anyone I'm coming. She says, tell the kid, you're, yeah. Yeah, you're the problem. That's right. the problem. When you, when you reinforce that, that this is an issue, right. how's that kid going to get better? Right. You, you know? never tell your kid, like, we're going to the doctor. To get you right, right. Strep. The truth is, by the way, before Corona, we would say that today. Right. <laughs> Today's like, we're doing a Corona test. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. Today's yeah. a whole other world. Like, getting a strep test, just, just keep that between us. Right. But right, in the normal world, you'd never tell your kid you're going to the doctor for a strep test, flu test. Don't tell anyone. Right. Yeah, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You get sick. It's just it's, yeah, exactly. Wrong. People want to help. Yeah, you didn't do anything yeah. wrong. So nothing, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So that was a great, great, uh, great session. I'm looking forward to the yeah. next one. Yeah. All right. Well, Brody, it's been wow. a great year. This is it. It's been a great year. Got to express a lot of gratitude for the year, for the good things. Don't take them for granted. Right. And as much as we miss Rabbi Moskowitz desperately, but I don't know, couldn't have done it without you. Couldn't do it without you. And that your friendship and partnership really appreciate. It. It's been a. Can I just say something? Been a great year. Because you weren't there. I actually said this when you were away one Shabbos. But I'm just telling you, I appreciate the opportunities you've given me. I love it. I'm just telling No, I'm telling you. You could have given it to anyone. <laughs> Maybe you did. I was the last guy on the on. list, and there was no one left. You've, you've stepped up, and everybody's watching you grow. It's, <laughs> it's, um, can I tell you, I've never amazing. worn a tie this many days in a row <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Brody, it should be a good Thank you. Have a great year. Good health for all of our families. Don't forget on your list, in your machzer, you got to put Esther Tila Basari Al please, God, we should Every day. Every day. And as our rabbi said, let the year and its curses end and let the new year and its blessings begin. And please, God, only blessings going forward until next year. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the beamer.